when I'm in the kitchen making my own dinner, they don't really care, but they know when I start putting together what it is that going to be their dinners. And part of it too is I let them clean the bowls out when I'm done. So they know that that's coming too. So yeah, they'll sit in the kitchen the whole time waiting on me. I'm Phil Hatterman, and this is Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fun. Today on Dog Words, Jenny Cox offers insight on making your own dog food. But first, Dr. Chris Morrow returns to discuss the Animal Health Corridor, an impressive but perhaps overlooked industry in the Kansas City region. In each episode of Dog Words, we explore the world of dog care and companionship. We save each other is the motto of Rosie Fund, which simply means the more we do for dogs, the more they do for us, and they already do a lot. If you love dogs, you'll love this podcast. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions. Go to the podcast page at rosiefund.org to share your thoughts. Use your favorite podcast service to subscribe, rate, and share dog words. This helps us with sponsorships. Then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. If this is your first visit to Dog Words, please check out our archived episodes at rosiefund.org and on many of the podcast services. If you're a fan of the photographer William Wegman and his Weimaraners, check out the Wegman-inspired video on the Rosie Fund YouTube channel where Peaches offers a tip for staying connected with friends while social distancing. The mission of Rosie Fund is to provide humans with the resources and education they need to give senior and harder-to-adopt dogs a better life. We thank you for joining our mission. Today on Dog Words, we are delighted to welcome back Dr. Chris Morrow, the Director of the Veterinary Technology Program at Maple Woods, MCC Maple Woods. Welcome back, Dr. Morrow. Thank you. It's great to be back. It's good to see you again. Last time you were on the show, you mentioned a statistic that was, I think, dumbfounding for some of our listeners related to the Animal Health Corridor, which is one thing that Kansas City is known for, and I just did air quotes, because people who know about animal health, it's known for. But I don't think the general population knows that Kansas City is known for being the animal health corridor. So what was the stat you shared last time you were on? I believe last time I said uh, we were 70 to 75% of the world's animal health industry is headquartered right here in Kansas City. And uh, I went back and checked my notes. and, And sure enough, I think they're saying about 70% of the world's animal health industry is right here in Kansas City, which is amazing. Well, how many cities or regions in the world can say that they're responsible for 70% of any industry? Yeah. No, it's it's a definitely a focus right here in the, the region. Yeah. And I'm sure there's probably some listener out there who's going to email us about bauxite or something that, you know, is only mined in one part of the world. I'm, but this is something that could be anywhere. This isn't a natural resource that can only be mined in Kansas City, but it is a natural resource in the sense that we have the personnel to staff. Right. Thanks in large part to right. programs like the Veterinary Technology Program at MCC Maple Woods. And if you want to know more about that, check out our episode where we interviewed Dr. Morrow on that program. I'll put a link to that in the description. The follow-up question when someone finds out that Kansas City is... of the animal health industry in the world, I think the obvious follow-up is, what does that mean? What is the animal health industry? What exactly is going on in Kansas City? When we say corridor, I think one of the big things to think about is we actually have this region, and it's from Manhattan, Kansas, where K-State Veterinary School is, to Columbia, Missouri, where University of Missouri Veterinary School is. So between Manhattan, Kansas, Columbia, Missouri, 
And going up north to St. Joe, Missouri, all of this area is called the corridor, the region. And I think a lot of it is we have those veterinary schools providing a lot of graduates that help the industry out. But we also have some really cool stories. Some of you guys may have heard of Hills Pet Foods. Mm -hmm. Hills Pet Foods was actually started by a veterinarian. And the story was he had a client or a friend of his that traveled with their dog. Their dog needed special food. And at that time, there wasn't any special food. There was no really canned food at that time. And so the veterinarian actually made some food. At that time, they didn't have cans, so basically jarred it, put it in jars. And as that friend of his traveled with their dog, he was able to take the food with them, feed them the special diet that helped the health of the animal. Eventually, of course, Hills partnered with a canning firm that, that started up. And uh, it's actually right here in Topeka, Kansas, is where Hills is headquartered. And so that started here in the area. We've got pharmaceutical companies nutrition companies. So nutrition-wise, Purina has a great presence here. We've got the Hills in Topeka. Pharmaceuticals, we've had uh, numerous companies throughout the years. Fort Dodge was kind of one of the big ones for the longest time that was here. And of course, Fort Dodge has been bought out by others now. But Bowringer, Ingelheim, Patterson, Midwest, there's all kinds of companies here in the area that uh, have provided us with drugs that help our animals, medications that help our animals. We've also got companies that are doing medical research. And so here in the area, trying to figure out healthy ways and, and not only health, but we're looking at now health animals and how it relates also to humans. And so they're looking at ways that how do we help animals with back injuries? How do we help people with back injuries? Same, same medication, same tests are going on trying to find ways to improve lives both in the animal world and the veterinary world. Peaches a few years ago had tightrope ACL surgery which was pioneered at the University of Missouri. Yes. The uh, veterinarian who performed the surgery actually trained with the doctor who developed that tightrope surgery which is now used all over the world. It's the sort of go-to for ACL for dogs with a certain type of knee issue in a certain weight range, and peaches fell within those criteria. But just one small example of something being pioneered in this animal health corridor, which is being used now all over the world. It's sort of the state-of-the-art approach to that issue. Yeah, and it, it's helpful. It really is. When I first started practicing medicine, that was back in 1996. And one of the worst things we had was arthritis, age and arthritis with animals. By the time of a lot of our dogs, especially our big dogs, large breeds and giant breed dogs, by the time they were 10 or 12, arthritis was crippling a lot of them. At that time, we used the drugs we had, which unfortunately were steroids, and they helped with the pain, they helped with the discomfort, but it didn't help long-term. It was a short-term fix. Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately... A lot of them had to be euthanized because to control the pain. The pain just got so severe. They got so crippled. We'd have to, to let them go peacefully with euthanasia. Thankfully, there was a drug. It was called Rimadil at the time. It actually came out, and they were trying to make it for human arthritis patients. And what was interesting, it worked in people, but it only worked for about one or two hours. And so they said, well, people aren't going to take a pill every one or two hours. Mm -hmm. 
But in the dogs, it worked for 12 to 24 hours. And that was actually a, a wonderful time because whenever that drug came out, that arthritis problem that we had fought with forever mm-hmm. basically went away. We are able to help so many dogs now. We don't have to worry about arthritis being the, the problem of their demise anymore. And so it's, it's a wonderful thing. In fact, an interesting story. I had a client that I put his dog on that drug, and he saw how wonderful it worked. He went out and he bought stock in that drug and because uh, he knew it was going to help. About two years later, he came back, and, and uh, I think he brought me a gift card and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. We just made a bunch of money on that, that stock. And I'm like, I don't remember selling that much drug, and I don't yeah. remember the drug getting that popular. The same company came out that year with Viagra. Ah. And the stock went through the roof, and but he had bought it because of the drug that the dog was on, mm-hmm. and uh, of course capitalized on it with. The Turned Viagra. out that that company had a skill set in a variety of treatments, yes. and uh, and at this point is when I need to say that. Any investment information given on this show is for educational purposes and only is not intended to be personal financial advice. Speak to your financial advisor for any questions you have about future investments. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Can you tell I've worked in the financial services industry? Well, that's, that was great. Yeah, I didn't make any money off of the, off the uh, stock either. So <laughs> it's all timing, I guess. But something like that treating arthritis or with peaches having her ACL surgery, humans need treatments for things that may not have been as big of an issue a few generations ago because our medical care didn't allow us to live long enough to have to deal with those issues. Right. I grew up on a farm and we spoke about this the last time you were on. You also grew up on a farm. We never had dogs that lived long enough because of the rigors of farm life to need ACL surgery, arthritis care. But now we take such good care of our dogs that they live long enough that more and more of them need to have issues addressed like arthritis or ACL. Obviously, you can get an injury at any age, but you're probably more prone to it as you are a senior dog. And I'm sure there's other health issues that can now be addressed because of the research that goes on in the animal health corridor. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, if you think about what's changed in the last 20 years, nutrition wise, big, big advancements in the nutrition and, and that's helped our dogs live longer. Mm-hmm. And cats just like with longer. humans again, just like with humans, we, we now understand more of what was happening. And I've actually got in my office, a drug book from basically a veterinary drug book from the 1970s. And it's about I would say a 10th of the size of our current drug book. And so it's just amazing how medicine advancements in medicine and treatment and surgery and nutrition just really are a driving force right now. We're able to do so much more than we used to for the animals. Anyone out there looking for career opportunities, working with animals. If you live in the Kansas city area or anywhere from Wichita to Columbia, North to St. Joe, there are opportunities for you in animal health care. You can learn more about what MCC Maple Woods has to offer in the veterinary technology program by going to mcckc.edu slash vettech. I'll put that link in the description. And if nothing else, you can be proud to live in this region. And anytime someone looks down their nose at you because you're from Cowtown, which Kansas City used to be known as Cowtown, 
You can say, yeah, we're proud to be Cowtown. We're proud of our heritage with animal health, with cows and other farm animals and dogs and the care that we offer them and the research that is done. Dr. Morrow, thank you again so much for joining us and enlightening our listeners on the Animal Health Corridor. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Our next guest today is Jenny Cox. Welcome to Dog Words, Jenny. Hi, how are you? I am well. We are going to talk about food prep. And by we, I mean you, because you prep your dog's food. I do. How did you get started doing that? What was your inspiration? It started when I had just graduated college and my dog, our family dog, Bailey, um, he was diagnosed with cancer. So we were looking into all sorts of different methods, holistic methods, treatments, that type of thing to help him through that whole process and everything. So I started looking into um, dog food and nutrition and started learning a lot about how traditional dog food and kibble and stuff is made and decided to switch him and Sirius over to a homemade diet. I have a friend who has um, some food sensitivities Mm -hmm. and she thought, well, I'll be careful about what I feed my dog. And she because she was looking at her own food labeling more closely than she used to before she was diagnosed, started looking at her dog's food labeling and found it's really hard to find dog food that you can be confident is healthy. Yes, it is. Like you really, if you're looking at the labels especially, they label different ingredients so strangely that unless you have done the research, you're not really even sure. Like, yeah, it says chicken but it says chicken meal or it says chicken byproduct. And unless you've done any research, you don't really know what that is. With human food, it makes sense that there are a lot of unhealthy options out there because sometimes we don't make the best choices and we indulge in things that aren't that healthy for us. But dog food seems like this would just be the basic, here's what they need. How do they screw it up? Because well, the dogs aren't saying, you know, I want Fruit Loops. Right. Sorry, yeah. Fruit Loops lovers out there. So it's this should be the, the healthy, this should be oatmeal. Like they're all getting quality oatmeal. You would think, yes, but it's a business. So, and it's a, you know, multi-billion dollar business. There are so many dogs out there. And whenever you bring money into something and profits and things like that, they try and cut ingredients and get them as cheap as possible. And unfortunately, the nutrition suffers because of that. So you, for the dog's health reasons, mm-hmm. took this step after doing some research. Once you started to make your own dog food, what were sort of the, the eye-opening moments? What were the big surprises? Um, the biggest surprise, like I had read a lot about um, all the different ingredients and it was very overwhelming when I first started looking into it because you have to make sure that they have all the nutrients that they need and things like that. So the biggest surprise, I guess, was how simple it was. So it's not necessarily easy. You still have to do your research Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But as far as putting it together, it's very simple. You just cook everything and divide it into portions and freeze it. So you're not preparing every meal like here's breakfast, doing prep, here's dinner, doing how far out in advance, how big a batch are you making? So I do about 
two weeks in advance. And that's really because that's the amount of freezer space that I have. Mm -hmm. If I had like one of those big deep freezers, I would do like a month or so in advance if I could. And I only have so many large pots and things like that. So I do about two weeks. I can do two weeks, pretty manageable in a regular size freezer. And I know you have two dogs. Yes. And tell our listeners the names of your dogs and describe them a little bit so they know what sort of dogs you have. So I have Lupin. He is going to be turning 10 this summer. He is a mutt, lab, border collie, pit bull, boxer. I think he's got it all in there. He's about, I would say about 50, between 50 and 60 pounds usually. Um, And he is a very sweet little dog. And then I just got Phoenix, who we call Nix, and no idea what she is. I'm pretty sure she's got lab because she's got webbed feet and she's all black, but I think she's probably got border collie or maybe like whippet or she's really slender. And she is a spunky little firecracker. So you're feeding two medium to what some people consider large dogs. Mm -hmm. And certainly the younger one has a high metabolism. Yes. So... Mm -hmm. Is there different food for the younger dog than there is for the older dog? There is. And actually, when I get a puppy, I usually keep them on some sort of like puppy kibble at the very beginning just to make sure they're getting all of the right stuff before I switch them over. So I usually will switch the puppy over between about six to eight months once they've kind of gotten through that really young puppy stage. And I feel comfortable doing it on my own. And I just want to make this public service announcement, whether someone's making their own food or buying food, just as humans need different nutrition for different stages of life, get the appropriate food for a puppy or an older dog or a dog that has joint issues Mm -hmm. that what's something you can add to it, either in the store-bought or making it your own. So you're doing that, you're customizing the food for, for what the dogs need Describe a typical batch. What's your recipe, if you don't mind sharing that uh, on the air? No, sure. So the majority of it is proteins, and I will cycle through mainly chicken, beef, and pork. A lot of times I'll kind of combine some of the two meats, and a lot of times it depends on what is on sale at the grocery store. So that's about 80% of it. You also want to make sure that you include organ meats. So there's hearts, gizzards, liver, all that good stuff is put in there and that. It's about 5% of it. And then the rest, I cycle through all sorts of different veggies. Um, I'll do like rice or barley or something like that. Oats is fine too. You can go grain-free. I know there has been some kind of controversy with um, heart disease and grain-free with dogs, but nothing has been shown to be definitive either way. So my dogs do get usually rice in their meals. Uh, And then I mix it all together in a big pot and portion that out into containers and or use what I'm not immediately using. I would imagine a dog is very excited about that kind of meal, real meat. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say spoiled, but the bar has been raised. It has. That there's probably no going back. There is not. There is not. So when I first switched Sirius over to a homemade diet, I was to the point with him where I was having to buy that, like, uh, dog Purina gravy stuff, Mm -hmm. just like this brown ooze, just to get him to eat his kibble, which was strange because Sirius is a very, very highly food-motivated dog. But yeah, as soon as I switched him over to the homemade food, 
I never had any issues with him eating again whatsoever. Were you to put a bowl of dry store-bought dog food in front of him now, he would give you a look like, why Why do you give me a bowl of packing material? Oh, what is, yeah. No, they, what is this? They wouldn't eat it. I think Mix, my little, my little one, she would probably still eat it because she'll eat anything. Uh, but Lupin would look at it like, this is ridiculous. What are you feeding me here? Yes, I have certain standards. Right. <laughs> I would like to speak to the management of this establishment. Exactly. Do you also do treats or is it just their main meals? No, I do treats. Yeah, I am not as consistent about making treats as I am with their food. So I do buy store-bought treats. Again, I just look at the ingredients list. It's important to me that it's made in the United States and it follows all the same standards and has uh, good wholesome ingredients and all that kind of stuff. When you're making the food, do do you get a sense that they know this is their food that you're working on? They do. They when know the I, difference between when you're making yes. your meals and theirs? Yeah, when I'm in the kitchen making my own dinner, they don't really care, but they know when I start putting together what it is that going to be their dinners. And part of it, too, is I let them clean the bowls out when I'm done. So they know that that's coming, too. So they, yeah, they'll sit in the kitchen the whole time waiting on me. You said you cook it. So what, mm-hmm. ki- what kind of pan is this? Like a casserole pan or a stovetop? How big is this dish? Oh, I don't know how big it is, but I just had a game changer. I got an Instapot. So it used to take me, I would say, you know, half the day to cook everything. But I got an Instapot. I will fill it. So for about them, it makes anywhere from about 12 to 14 days of food. And I use 10 to 12 pounds of meat. So that is about how much meat is in it. And then the rest is veggies and rice. So the Instapot can cook 10 pounds of chicken in less than an hour. Have you done any sort of cost analysis? Do you know what you're spending compared to what it would be buying off the shelf? It is more expensive. I think part of that is because I have two dogs. I think if you just have one dog, it would be fairly comparable if you were buying a high quality kibble. I think it would be fairly close, but it is more expensive just because of all the other stuff that you add to it, all the supplements and things like that. You mentioned that you're protein choices, your meat sometimes are influenced by what's on sale. You don't have to mention the store that you shop at, but what kind of store? Like, are you going just the regular grocery store? Yeah, Yeah, just the regular grocery store. And I look at the ads and see who has what for the cheapest price when it's dog food making weekend and go get that. Because, yeah, because the dog, they don't need ribeye. No, no, they don't. They don't care. (laughs) They can get the cheapest cut of meat and you don't have to. Chicken thighs are fantastic. Yeah, you don't have to season it up or do any sort of marinate to get them to like it. Yeah, they're fine with that. Have you had anybody ask for your advice in putting together a menu for their dog? I have. A lot of people are interested in making their own dog food, but because it is such a time commitment, that a lot of people, I mean, people have busy lives. They have a lot of things going on. It's not something where if you don't have any dog food for their dinner, you can run out to the grocery store and pick up a bag of dog food. So um, I have given most of the time people ask me for things that they can add to the kibble mm-hmm. to increase the value, the nutritional value of their kibble. That's mostly the questions that I get. Not a lot of people are willing to spend a whole Sunday Making food for their dog. <laughs> but it's not every Sunday. <laughs> it's not every Sunday. It's, it's not about every, every other Sunday. About every other Sunday. Yep. And you mentioned if you only had one dog or if you had a deep freeze, you could probably do oh, this yeah. once a month. You could. Also with the Instapot, 
It's not your whole day. It's not. Nope. It makes it so much easier with you've, the Instagram. You've tightened that up. Mm-hmm. If someone makes that commitment, that can be a fun family project. It could. Do that with the kids. Yeah. We're making food prep for the dogs. Yeah. It would be a really easy way to get the kids involved because it doesn't matter what it tastes like at the end. Like, you know, if you mess something up, <laughs> the dogs don't this care. Low pressure. <laughs> right. low, very low pressure here. Exactly. They'll eat it. It doesn't matter opportunity to get your kids in the kitchen and maybe mm-hmm. get them more interested in knowing where food in general comes from. Yeah. I think we're getting more and more removed from the food source mm-hmm. that people aren't making their own food. So when they're shopping, they're buying something that's already in a box, already been prepped. They just have to heat or you go to a restaurant and it's all brought out to you and you don't know anything about the food preparation. Yeah. So even if you're doing it for a dog... Yeah, we're it can, still learning. Yeah, it connects you with, with your food source and thinking about all the work that goes into it, the work mm-hmm. that the, the farmers are doing and and uh, then the transportation that's involved and everything that it takes to put together a meal. It is. It helps with leftovers too. Like if I know that I'm not going to finish one of my meals that I made up, I can always throw that into the bowl for the dogs and take care of a dinner that way too. So it helps that way. Have you ever done bone broth for the dogs? Yes, I do bone broth. I try and make bone broth about once a month. And the bones that I get are usually the bones from whatever meat I was cooking. I freeze those, and then I make bone broth in the Instapot. How do you deliver the bone broth to them? Do you just add that to the food you're making? Does that go into a treat, or that's just a little... You, I've done it both ways. Usually what I do is right before dinner time, I'll scoop a little bit out. Like I'll put it in the refrigerator so it gets real gelatinous Mm -hmm. and then I just take a scoop out and put it in their bowl before bedtime and then we go to bed is that a special treat for them they know that this is a special meal Uh yeah they like that and it's super healthy all of those nutrients from the bones and everything are so fantastic for their skin and their coat and ligaments and all that so yeah I try and get that done at least once a month since we're talking about bones Mm -hmm. I was always told do not give a dog a cooked bone yes that is really important especially like chicken bones Mm -hmm. stuff like that because they can splinter while they're chewing on them and then that can cause internal damage so we would encourage anybody out there who's considering doing their own food prep for their dogs do some research Mm -hmm. don't just assume anything that's an animal i can give it to the dog make sure that it's being delivered in a safe way that it's nutritionally balanced that it's Mm -hmm. appropriate for your dog's needs based on age based on activity level based on joint health based on perhaps a conversation with your veterinarian Mm -hmm. Um, they might be able to tell you your dog needs more iron yes and i do regular blood tests with my dogs to make sure that they're not becoming deficient in any sort of mineral and i add supplements to the meals and stuff like that to to balance all that out Jenny, if someone's interested in picking your brain about food prep for dogs, is there contact information? I think the best way is to email me, SiriusJen, S-I-R-I-U-S-J-E-N, at gmail.com. Were you Alan Parsons fans out there, that's easy to remember, SiriusJen, S-I-R-I-U-S, that's instrumental lead-in to Eye in the Sky that you all heard during uh, Bull's introductions <laughs> During the Michael Jordan era, I'm sure they still do it. And uh, as a University of Nebraska fan, as I am, they use that when they bring the Cornhuskers out onto the field in Memorial Stadium. So Sirius Jen, is that why you pick Sirius Jen? Because of the Alan Parsons Project or because the 
Chicago Bulls? Uh, neither one. <laughs> Sirius was the name of my lab, and I picked that because I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll allow it. I know not everyone is as big a uh, Alan Parsons Project fan as I am, and certainly not as big a Nebraska Cornhuskers fan as I am. So again, if you want to pick Jen's brain and not uh, reinvent the wheel when it comes to putting together food prep for your dog, email her at SiriusJen at gmail.com, S-I-R-I-U-S-J-E-N at gmail.com. Jenny, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm Phil Hatterman, and you've been listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. I want to thank our guests, Dr. Chris Morrow and Jenny Cox. To learn more about the Veterinary Technology Program at MCC Maple Woods, including the application process, go to mcc.edu slash vettech. This link is in the description for this episode. If your podcast service does not include active links, go to rosyfund.org for full descriptions of all of our episodes. To contact Jenny, email her at seriousgen at gmail.com. That's S-I-R-I-U-S-J-E-N at gmail.com. I also want to thank alternative string duo The Wires, featuring cellist Sasha Groshong and violinist Laurel Morgan Parks, for playing the wonderful music you've heard on today's and previous episodes of Dog Words. Learn more about The Wires at thewires.info and download their music on iTunes. Now is the perfect time to check out Laurel's online teaching platform, Drunken Fiddles. Sign up for the Absolute Beginner Fiddle course, or if you already have some experience with violin, take the Experienced Beginner or Intermediate course. More information is available at fiddlelife.com. That's F-I-D-D-L-E-L-I-F-E dot com. The Absolute Beginner course is for adult beginners, includes daily practice videos, recordings where Laurel teaches with a group and individually, and all of the sheet music with fingerings and cheat sheets. She starts from the very beginning. No experience necessary. The Experienced Beginner or Intermediate course is for all ages. It includes how to play tunes in the regional fiddle style, history, theory, and a new fiddle theme every two months. It starts out with Celtic music for April and May. Support Rosie Fund by following us on social media. Links to our pages are at rosiefund.org. Subscribing to the free Rosie Fund YouTube channel gives you access to all of our videos, including some exclusive content, and it gives more exposure to the shelter dogs we feature. Just search for Rosie Fund on YouTube or use the link at rosiefund.org. Again, check out the recently added Wegman-inspired video featuring Peaches. Please make Rosie Fund your charity with Amazon Smile. And if not Rosie Fund, any charity of your choice. It costs you nothing. Amazon has money to give to charities and wants your help identifying worthy causes. Use your favorite podcast service to download and subscribe to Dog Words. And please share this podcast. This helps us with sponsorships. Then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. Send us your comments, questions, and suggestions via the website, and let us know if you would like to be a sponsor of the Dog Words podcast. Thank you for listening, and remember, we save each other.